It's Thursday, August 18th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann, from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, and from Inside Value, Joe Mager. Guys, decided to make it a three-peat. The band is still together. That's right. I think there's a trademark on that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to expire. Trust me. Um We've got. I feel some anger in the room. I got to be honest. <laughs> we, At some point, this is all going to boil over, and we're going to, you know, all, all things come to an end because they end badly, and we're we're headed in that direction. I think we are. We will, and we will get to that later when we get to the outpouring of response from our dozens of listeners. A lot of emails to get to, uh, but we have to start with the big story of the day. Um, it was. Uh, f- at least for the first few days this week, relatively stable in the market. Um, this morning, the Dow down more than 400 points. Um, Tim, one of the things you put out on Twitter, and I'm quoting here, 4% moves are back again. What what happened? What, what happened today well, to kill the stability? It looks like the catalyst is, is uh, the, this borrowing of 500 million euro by an unnamed European bank from the European Central Bank, which has people concerned again about Bank failure, which obviously is what uh, preceded the credit crisis that that caused the downturn just a few years ago. Um, you know, the one thing that had made this downturn different from the one a few years ago was that banks were still lending to creditworthy people. A couple of years ago, nobody could get capital. Mm. Um, so if this is a sign that, that banks are stressed again and capital is going to dry up, that's where I think people are concerned about a repeat. So it's a European bank. We don't know which bank it is? Oh, no. They, I don't think they'd want it. The rumors are out there. Uh, Societe Generale is, is down sharply, even though there's a ban on short selling. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's not a ban on selling, though. There's <laughs> not a ban on selling. Uh, we don't know who it is. People have, have uh, some suspicions, but no matter who it is, it's, it's a problem. I was going to say, so f- for the sake of perspective, it is safe to assume it is not some small to mid-side ba- bank. It is, it is sort of the European equivalent of a, a what, a Bank of America? A, a- you would think so. I mean, yeah. you know, there are a lot of small banks floating around Europe. You know, the, the Spanish um, lending, property lending banks, for example, have had a lot of problems. But $500 million is a lot of, you know, it's a lot of money. So yeah. it's probably a bigger player. Bill, it's euros, right? Euros. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Bill, what do you make of all this? Well, I mean, one of the things that's one of the things that, that Europe is grappling live, with right now is what's going to happen with Greece. And one of the issues that they're talking about is if Greece defaults, where is you know where where does the haircut go to? And it goes to the banks. The banks are the ones who hold a lot of this paper. And if the banks are already stressed this much, you know it would take very little for a number of the European banks to go basically into receivership if if Greece defaults. So this really takes yet another bow out of the you know, arrow out of the quiver yep. for the uh, for the regulators for what they could, what they might do. We also had some uh, economic news here in the U.S. Uh, unemployment uh, up uh, from the previous week. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, <laughs> we've heard. <laughs> that wish before. we could say we didn't see that coming. Yeah. But. Um, Joe, what do you make of this? Well, I think the ECB thing is definitely disconcerting. I mean, it's the first time since February anybody's used that facility. And the facility is more expensive than what they could have got on an open market, which mm-hmm. suggests that there's some degree of distress there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an element of where there's smoke, there's fire. And I don't think it's unreasonable to be a little bit concerned. I wouldn't be you know, jumping off a bridge on this news or anything like that. And Not a tall one, at least. Yeah, a very low one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a three-foot bridge, like yeah, a foot bridge. Right. yeah. Like over a creek. Um, <laughs> Actually, sounds quite pleasant. Yeah. I may do that this afternoon. It's hot. 
Yeah, but you know, I, I do think it's reasonable to to have those concerns. And if I had a large position in the financial sector, which I do not, uh, I would be considering my options around that. I would say people should not have any kind of large position in the financial. Well, Bruce banking. Berkowitz, in banking, yeah, I mean, smart guy. You know, has a strategy in place. He's got it. But for for the normal retail investor, I would say the banking sector is just really, really hard right now. You know, I, the one thing that I would say is that it, this really just goes to show. I mean, what's going on globally right now is a deleveraging. I mean, that's that 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 has what is what has been taking place really since in the developed world. In the developed yeah. world, yeah. Thank you. Um, it's been taking place since two thousand and eight. And it's ongoing, and it's not positive. I mean, there are some really bad things that happen as a symptom of a deleveraging. And so, you know, I think this is one of them. Yeah, I read a fascinating paper this morning by uh, Michael Pettis, who's an economist in China. And and he was saying that as consumers in the U.S. deleverage, demand is obviously going to drop, which has major ramifications for any of the suppliers in the world, one of which is China. We also supply some things in the United States. Uh, But he was predicting that uh, as this happens – the United States will, will likely become more protectionist in its trade policies because we'd like to get unemployment down. And when that happens, it's going to have massive effects on on, on China, for example, and, and lead to a period of global destabilization. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think that's right. It's and, credible but scary. It's scary. Yeah. Super scary. Um, let me read this quote uh, from one analyst uh, that I read this morning. He said, every time the economy got the sniffles, we had the Federal Reserve standing by with tissues. This time around, I think the box is empty, and we're going to have to go through this alone. Um, you guys agree with that? Is there is there nothing that Uncle Ben Bernanke can do to, to um, stabilize things? I think what's happened over the last 25 years is that uh, every time every time that there has been a recession, and, and to me, a recession you know, in, in economics is a positive thing. It washes out the bad capital. But every time there's been a recession, the government's jumped in. You know, you, you, you have this, uh, you know, the, you have this meme of, are you better off than you were four years ago? Mm-hmm. And I think politicians have responded to, the, to that in a, what is ultimately a very negative way. An electable way. Yeah, but, but a negative real again, way. again, but, yeah. you know, the, the economic cycle doesn't work in two, four, or six years. It works in 20 years, and, you know, and, and occasionally you have to have a cleansing cycle, and they're not allowing it to happen. Joe? Yeah, I mean, you can keep pouring liquidity on or just dropping it from a helicopter or a small bridge, <laughs> as the case may be. But, you know, a bridgelet. When you, when you look at QE2, at Clearly, I guess how you want to define success, but it doesn't seem like it's done a whole lot for us other than fuel a period of crazy bubblicious valuations with growth stocks. That We're almost came desensitized back. to cheap money at this point, to large amounts of cheap money. Right. I about fell out of my chair this morning. The tenure fell below 2%. I mean, that's crazy. Crazy yeah, tenure you can, below you can 2%. Refinance for, you can re- refinance on a 15-year fix now mm. well under 4%, which is – that's crazy money. But, and it, but it's not doing anything. You know, people aren't going out and jumping on that capital and buying houses. Home sales are falling. It's a weird disconnect in the economy. And so, there, I mean, there are structural problems, I think, that need to be solved to make people feel better. And cheap money is not a sustainable solution. And that's the transition, the hump we need to get over as a, a, as a global economy. All right. Let's uh, wrap up this particular topic with uh, advice for investors who, you know, like me, um, Thought oh, okay, we, we you know after the craziness of the last couple of weeks, we're having kind of a stable week, and now we're right back to the you know the the four hundred five hundred point swings, uh, and not the good kind of swings. Uh, Tim, 
advice for investors? Well, there, there are two stocks that I watch that are basically flat today, which means they're generating a lot, a good amount of alpha on this day. And, and, flat is the new positive. Yeah, yes. and, and that is Walmart and Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And I would say what those two companies have in common is that they're, they're big. They've got great balance sheets. They've been great business for very long periods of time. And at the end of the day, they're consumer staple businesses. Demand for them is not going to go away in a, a, a huge, significant magnitude of a, of a way. Yeah. Um, they're going to do well long term. They've got lots of markets. They're diversified. They're relatively easy to understand. And I think that's the type of business that you can you can latch onto in these times and feel comfortable. You can take more risk and you might get more reward. But if you want to feel comfortable. You know, those are better bets at this point than treasuries. I mean, they have higher yields. Yeah, they're yielding 2% plus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bill Mann with the can of Diet Coke in front of him. Yes. Very tasty. (laughs) I'm going to actually sort of dovetail on what Tim said, and and, and that is you don't need to be – I mean, obviously, things are very volatile. You Mm -hmm. should relax a little bit, but I would – this is not a time to, you know, to get out over your skis and to be, you know, going out and trying to find the new great thing because there are a lot of large cap American and, you know, and international companies that are trading at multi-generational lows. And you're going to do great not, you know, you're not taking a, you know, a huge risk going out and buying a Procter & Gamble. Joe? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, stuff to build on. I'll say that I think we will look back at this time and marvel that the tenure got to where it did. Like, we will not be able to believe that it got that low, especially yeah. with all the liquidity and junk that we poured into our financial system yeah. and the size of our deficits. I mean, think think now about how in 1981, you know, it, it, you know interest rates were 17 and 18 percent and how weird that seems. And I think Joe's yeah. exactly right that Ten years from now, we're going to look back at this and go, really? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, you know, I think institutions are the ones who are ultimately driving that. But if you're just an everyday Joe sitting at home, especially people in retirement who are struggling with this issue of preserving capital and getting some actual income, you know, I would tilt a little more towards conservative dividend pairs like the ones we've been talking about as being a logical way to get some income and preserve some capital. I would say that the volatility still is driven somewhat by crazy. I mean, you're not talking about new issues. You're talking about things where there are events that have been forecast and, you know, in, in people's headlights or should have been for years now. So, the volatility is is the scary part, but I mean, there's, you know, there there are actions that you can take that are, you know, that 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 are beneficial that have, you know, but you've got to kind of ignore the volatility a little bit. That sounds like a bad long-term dysfunctional relationship. You know, these issues that <laughs> have persisted for years. He's a good man. <laughs> just takes one thing to set him off. Now, uh for those listeners who have been listening all week, uh, you know that uh, a few days ago I referenced uh, an email that we got some uh, t- weeks ago from a guy named Dustin Whitmer who referred to Market Foolery as his third favorite podcast. We're still waiting, by the way. Dustin, if you're listening, uh, maybe he's on vacation. He hasn't got to us yet. We're st- <laughs> we're st- how, many, how many podcasts can you listen to in a day? We're, we're, still, li- we're still waiting for the email from Dustin to tell us uh, what are his top two. But uh, Did he call? Uh, Has he called? <laughs> we asked folks to you know just let us know. Where do we Dustin means well. <laughs> Where does Market Foolery fit in in your uh, uh, your list of podcasts? I've um, got some great emails uh, from Bruce Woodford. I thought it was strange that my two favorite podcasts were Market Foolery and Pardon the Interruption. So it was nice to hear not only that another one of your subscribers feels the same way, but that you yourselves are big PTI fans. How about stealing each other's bits? You guys could start doing report card, report card or odds makers, and PTI could tell us their yes, no, maybe so teams for the upcoming NFL season. 
I, I think we'd get a phone call from uh, from ESPN on that one if we just started. We bleeding. may. We know a guy. We, <laughs> we got top man on this. We one. know the guy. <laughs> we know the guy uh, from Ian Bartush. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, actually, you're Ian. Actually, <laughs> actually, your podcast is the first thing that I listen to when I wake up. I live in Spain. We are six hours behind you in the U.S. And your show starts my day with a smile and a laugh. Always a good thing. In regard to Joe Mager's new nickname, I was really leaning towards Angry Uncle Joe, but by the end of the show, I'm thinking a better name might be The Funny Uncle Joe. I think we should just call him... (laughs) (laughs) From Kevin Kraft in Pennsylvania, I download the podcast daily. I have to admit that I actually felt pretty bad the other day after the show where Joe was verbally pelted during his his Walmart Amazon rant. Not as bad as Joe felt. After yesterday's show, hmm, not feeling bad so much now. (laughs) Regarding a permanent nickname for Joe, maybe consider a blend of the two, like Joe Mager, the angry dad. And Le- Lebetard of the Motley Fool. It's wordy, I know, but it has a certain rhythmic ring to it, especially with a dramatic pause after you say it. Tim, you on board with that or just too wordy? Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm biased because the people – we've got a lot of emails and the people have spoken. So I, I'm over on the angry Uncle Joe side just because the consensus, I think, has, has swayed me. But I think the, the, the Dan Lebetard of the Motley Fool, that's, that's never going to go away. That'll live on. That'll live on. We'll, we'll get a sign for his desk. At least internally here at the Motley Fool. <laughs> uh, from Jeremy Clark, guys, love the show. I always listen to you guys first, but you're tied – with the Steelers Lounge podcast. That's Stillers. Stillers, exactly. Uh, although the chances I make money off the Steelers are pretty slim, so you guys might win that battle. You do, however, edge out my favorite ESPN podcast, which is Around the Horn. And in that vein, I would l- like to nominate Joe for the Woody Page of Market Foolery. <laughs> but if that doesn't work, I vote for Angry Uncle Joe. I'll Does say. he gets thrown off the podcast before everybody else <laughs> I do own a lot of pink shirts. There is that crossover. Joe, you're going to have to leave. You've been compared to Woody Page. You've been compared to Dan Lebetard. Um, either of those work better for you than the other? Uh, no. <laughs> i got to be honest. By the way, can we revisit the Walmart-Amazon debate? Because I think Joe's had, had a few days to think about it, and I, and I think he has something he wants to say. Exactly. For, for those who missed it, uh, we, we basically, in the next five years, does Amazon overtake Walmart in market cap? Joe said quite uh, vehemently that it would be Amazon. Because they retain their earnings. And we were cruel. And uh, That was the third reason I gave. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, have you uh, had some time to do some more thinking on Walmart yeah, v-, v Amazon? Yeah, Past the I third have. reason. I will, I will concede I think Walmart will have a higher market cap in five years. And now, I, I'm not saying I think that means that Walmart outperforms Amazon over five Wasn't years. the question. Wasn't the question. It was not the question. We, we answered the question Chris asks. It was not the That's question. That's in my contract. Did you, uh, Do you have you, a contract? Were you... <laughs> I just show up here. Uh, And finally, a succinct uh, email from Zachary Tong. And I should point out that the subject line of the email was simply Angry Uncle Joe. (laughs) And in the body of the email, he wrote, The only option, really. I think we got a winner. I mean, clear winner. As you said, the people have spoken. You know, I'm a very kind person, actually. And I don't even have any nephews or nieces or, or anything. But you have anger. Oh well, sure. <laughs> I think uh, I think much more so than the Dan Lebetard of the Motley Fool. Uh, Angry Uncle Joe is going is going to live on. In fact, AUJ. In fact, maybe maybe T-shirts. Maybe we get some T-shirts made up, something like that. I like it. I've got some pictures that we could we could we could consider. <laughs> we should put Top Man on this one. 
Bill Mann from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen from Global Gains, and angry Uncle Joe Mager from Motley Fool <laughs> Inside Value. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Be sure to check out Motley Fool Money Radio Show this weekend. Our guest is retirement expert Robert Brokamp. You will have some tips for protecting your retirement savings during these volatile times. That's Motley Fool Money on iTunes, online, and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week.